and welcome back to What's in the Box, the Doctor Who podcast that invites you to discuss your favourite or recommended things from the world of Doctor Who. Tonight, I'm extremely honoured to welcome the gentleman that gave me my first taste of podcasting and inspired me to start up my own podcast. It's Mr. Joe Ford. Good evening, Joe. How are you tonight? Don't you blame me for all this. <laughs> all right. I am not responsible for it. No, no, no. Hello. I'm very pleased to be here. I'm pleased to have you on as well, um, considering uh, the, um, the the amount of times that I've been on yours. I've been on Strictly, haven't I, just recently as well. So. Marvelous. May I say that episode went down extremely well as well. Oh, did it? Oh, brilliant. Yes, very popular. I, I, I crammed watching season 18 into about a week, I think. Um, <laughs> don't I, know I, how I managed I, it. I said to Rod, is joining forces of Jim Allenby and Lucy McCall. You know, <laughs> what a team. <laughs> I've got Lucy on in a few weeks, actually. So oh, I can't yeah, wait to spoilers. hear what she's got to recommend. She's oh, she's fabulous. She's got some interesting topics, but uh, I will uh, I will keep them close. There'll be a closely guarded secret for now. So keep your wits about you, though. All right. Because did you not oh. hear how she cut down Rod during that episode? Oh, yes. <laughs> so, so brilliantly. Just totally cut down his arguments. So, yeah, keep your wits about you. <laughs> she is fantastic. Oh, she's great. <laughs> Well, uh, telling me off is the best thing in the world. I love it. So um, we have got a uh, we got four interesting, very interesting subjects to talk about tonight. Uh, but before we move on to those, uh, I'd like to ask you briefly your your journey into Doctor Who. Uh, I mean, I I know we've you you've spoken about this on podcasts before, yes. but for for anybody who who hasn't heard you, how would you uh, kind of describe your your journey into the show and uh, and how you found the show really? Uh, well, as I have said before, it led by the hand by a very kind, very smart um, Irish Catholic uh, young man called Paul Quinn, who lived two two doors down from me, uh, who gave me the biggest gift I've ever had in my life. And as we sort of go through this, I'll, I'll discuss just how what Doctor Who means to me and how it's been there for me during the highs and lows of my life. So him coming in when I was, what, four, five years old and saying, here, listen to this, you know, I've got this great book of Doctor Who's synopses and I'm going to read you some of the stories and getting my imagination thriving and, and my creative juices going. Sorry, I'm making this sound filthy already. I was only <laughs> four, right? Um it was a bit, the biggest gift anyone's ever given me in my life. Doctor is the only thing that's tattooed on my arm. I've got a TARDIS here. So um, so as a small aside, a massive thank you to Paul Quinn for doing that for me. And we, hand in hand, watched all of those early VHS Doctor Who videos. Um, I'm sure you can remember those, you know, those unedited oh, yeah. videos without the cliffhangers. Mm -hmm. Still, don't you still feel weird watching mm -hmm. those stories with cliffhangers in them? Yeah, yeah. I I used to play spot the cliffhanger when I used to watch the the uh, the, the the movie versions of them. I had no idea. I had no, no. clue. And I still had cliffhangers. No, and I still cannot watch things like Pyramids of Mars, Death of the Daleks, with without being kind of slightly taken aback because there's a cliffhanger in the story. It's why I never I never understood. Well, I do understand, but the the kind of people. Uh, getting in a tiz about the the um the patterned floor in the city oh, of the excellence marvelous isn't it <laughs> the, the ikea flooring of death 
<laughs> but you never would have thought there was a cliffhanger at that moment. So, well, I know. mean, no, why would you? <laughs> <laughs> there are several moments, sort of five minutes before and five minutes after that floor is revealed, that you might think could be a cliffhanger, but you mm-hmm. never guess it's going to be that. <laughs> no. I love a cliffhanger. In fact, yeah. I was so confused because he's reading out the program guide and saying four episodes, and then I've watched Pyramids of Mars, and it's just one. It's I'm just going, one. Well, where's the other three then? Because yeah. the stories seem to end. Oh, no, but it really, there were several things that really got me. It scared me. Mm-hmm. And so that that it provoked this, this big emotional reaction in me. Stuff like uh, Nurse Lamont in mm. Terror of the Zygons with all the blood going down her arm, you know. Um, Sarah running through the fog in Death to the Daleks and stuff like this. Absolutely fucking chilling to a four or five-year-old. Um mm. So it really got to me on that level. But I think the thing that really got to me was knowing there was so much of it. And so immediately, uh, the collector in me that's here now, I just wanted it all. I Mm. wanted all of it. And honestly, Jim, it took me a long time to get it all. Uh, Collecting, you know, all the VHSs, all the DVDs, now all the Blu-rays. And as I'm going to tell you later, that journey is still going on to this day because there's some stories that have been a revelation to me in the last month or so um Mm. so i'm still learning now all of these years later um i'm not sure the journey ever ends you know no i don't think it does and i think um it's uh it was very exciting i think at the time to collect the show like that and people always say you know they they have a favorite doctor and that yeah you do have a favorite doctor and people say oh um this was my doctor as i was growing up but for me it was doctors one to seven because yeah. it was all of them because it was one one month i would have a video with hartnell and the next month i'd have a video with tom baker and then then i'd be watching a pertwee um so it was it was it was really nice. I think you've spoken before about, you know, kind of it's like the archaeology of of Doctor Who and piecing it's together good word, things. Isn't it? it is, yeah. It's like piecing together a puzzle, really, isn't it? And I think that's what I really enjoyed. And it's interesting to kind of speak to I've spoken to a few a, a few younger uh, younger than us guests on here now. Oh, and they younger Doctor Who for us. Younger on ones, them, yes. <laughs> Who got into it via the, via the, the new Who. series. Yeah. Outrageous. And they've, but they've kind of, although it's maybe slightly easier now for them to do it, but they've kind of, they've grown up watching the new series and then they've explored the classic series through picking bits and, and finding these stories. Do you know, I just this weekend gone had a couple of days in Allborn with Luke Malloy, who's new to, who's fresh to Doctor Who via the new series and now has gone back and explored all the classic series. There was four Doctor Who fans at that weekend, yeah. And the one who was most excited about running around the roads where John Pertwee zooming about in Planet of the Daleks was Luke Malloy. It was none of us <laughs> old school ones. We were just going, why are we standing here in this boggy field? And he's going, no, this is where the Hoomerville zoom past, you know. So the fact is, classic series is still sort of grabbing older people now. Yeah. Amazing. I've been doing a rewatch of New Who with um, with my girlfriend, and we've, we're currently on towards the end of series five now of of New Who. I haven't yet um, dared to show any any old Doctor Who, any classic Doctor Who. Um, I don't know whether whether or not she'd be uh, she'd like it or not. I don't know. 
as a bold step to make, you know, and you mm. always have to, yeah, you know, we always agonize about which one do you choose. And I remember with my ex husband, I ch I chose well, I chose Remembrance of the Daleks, then I chose Resurrection of the Daleks, and he just loved the action and the Daleks and all of that. Mm. And and then he was just sort of quite happy to have some work well, yeah, tested, obviously, the web planet, it's like that. Something's yeah. tested <laughs> to, to a, a modern day eyes, you know, some of this stuff looks like it's from the 1920s, not the 1960s, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, choose well. All right. I, I, well, no pressure. I, all right. No. <laughs> I, well, I got a bit of a taster of her of her opinion the other the other day when I, I posted that clip from Destiny of the Daleks with the Doctor throwing his hat over the Daleks' eye stalk. And it, <laughs> what and did she, she say? <laughs> she didn't comment, but she sent it to me in a Twitter message, and she she just put, "What the hell have I just watched here?" Oh, I was like, uh oh. <laughs> so so that's it. You know not to start there then. Yeah, yeah. I she mean, was... why anyone would choose Destiny of the Daleks is baffling. Oh, 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 I know. She she. she she was like, this is, this is, she says, it feels like I'm watching a kid's TV show here. And I was kind of like, well, well it is a kid's TV show. But... <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, probably, probably let's not start there. <laughs> it's got a bit sexier in later years, that's all. <laughs> and more on that later. Oh, yes. <laughs> but no, um, hmm. so I got the taste for Doctor Who. And then after sort of Paul and I went our separate ways in my teenage years, then the hunt was on to just get everything and anything I could get my hands on. So I collected it all. Mm. I got magazines. I got magazines that were, weren't were Doctor Who related, but had Doctor Who content in them, like TV Zone and Starburst and SFX and anything that had Doctor Who in it. I bought the tins, you know, which had the videos in them, everything. Um, God, it was a fantastic time. Mm. It really, really was. And every single new story that I watched to this day, I'm still trying to replicate how that felt putting on the first episode of a brand new Doctor Who story mm. with the new series. And, you know, I'm going to talk a bit about that later because there was a period of the new series where I was getting that feeling. Mm. But it's rare. It's rare. There's something really precious about discovering those classics for the first time. I can remember getting the War Games for the mm. first time, one of my favourites to this day. And I was working early then. I was working at Debenhams doing uh, merchandising and I'd go in early. So I'd get up at like half four and ration one episode a morning every morning. And wow. I set the alarm at night. So excited, like rubbing my hands. Like, oh, my God, at 4.30 tomorrow morning, I watch another installment of the war game. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ, I knew how to live, didn't I, when I was 16? <laughs> um, but it was wonderful. No, it, it was... Oh, well, it's not stopped. <laughs> it was, thinking back on it now, I don't think I've ever had uh, more fun sort of discovering something. There's no subject matter I've led into more than Doctor Who. Mm. And like I say, it's, it's still going on now. But that period there where it's it was all there for the taking, you know, all that stuff was coming out. Oh, wonderful times. So yeah. exciting. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it was similar for me, really. I mean, and, and I remember this clear moment in my in my memories of my grandma bringing me. She used to order Doctor Who magazine for me and come to her house and then she'd uh, she'd bring it round to my house later in the week. And I remember opening Doctor Who magazine. And it, I think it was maybe issue 180 or 181 or something. And, and there was an article in there or, or at least just a, a half a page about missing episodes and i didn't i had no idea what and i was like 
what there's missing episodes as well outrageous it was just and then of course that led into me and my friend uh going to sci-fi markets where we would find bootleg copies of stories like the smugglers and uh you know te- absolute terrible recordings but it was you know I, I listening to to the smugglers or or, or the crusades. you're talking about audios right not that you ain't got oh, yeah, 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 oh, no. <laughs> no 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 i'm i'm, uh, I'm not one of those. another thing or two to say about you <laughs> if you've got all four episodes of the smugglers no, no, only one episode of it. They were um, selling <laughs> bootleg copies of the audios of Doctor Who missing stories down mm-hmm. the market. Yep, yep, they were. They, yeah, they had they the, the person selling them had, had put them on tape. Uh, so you had one one episode per half. So you'd buy a couple of a couple of tapes, and um, they'd made a little cover as well with the with the title sequence in the background and the Doctor Who. Uh, William Hartnell logo, Patrick Trout one on the front. And I, I just remember looking at this stack or, or, or big kind of array of tapes in front of me with my friend and thinking, which one do I get? Which one do I get? And oh, I had to wait until the BBC brought them out. You remember with like Tom yeah. Baker doing the narration on Macrotech. No, that was Colin Baker. That was Macrotech. Colin. Yeah. And, and Tom on what, Evil of the Daleks. Yeah. Did he do? Yeah. 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 God, uh, if I had seen that down the market. Oh, Honestly, it died. was. I, I just remember listening like one Sunday afternoon with my my dad's tape player on full blast, trying to listen to these kind of distant <laughs> voices through through this hissing sound and thinking, "What what's going on? What's happening here?" I think it, it was. I think it was. I think it was the smugglers. I think it was the smugglers that I, that I had. Um, I and- can just about discern some kind of sound. <laughs> Who cares? It's new Doctor Who. <laughs> It's the same with the telestat reconstructions, isn't it? Yeah, you know, mm. I've said this story so many times, but the, the, you know, the day my ex-husband walked in on me watching, I can't remember which one it was, and he goes, is it paused? I can hear sound. So I was like, no, 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 <laughs> it, it's a telecap reconstruction. He's like, what's that? I was like, well, it's sort of stills from the episode. <laughs> he goes, what, you're watching old 60s Doctor Who that doesn't even move? And I was like, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And it's very exciting. Go away. It is very exciting. <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ. But, Honestly, I, now I'm st- we're talking, you know, I'm starting to think it might have been a waste of a life. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I could have cured, you know, done, done something really good with my life. <laughs> never mind, never mind. Okay, so we'll get into your first subject. Well, I find all these subjects intriguing anyway, so um, I'll let you explain to the uh, to the listener what we're going to talk about first. I would like to talk about season three of Doctor Who, please. So William Hartnell's third season. Mm, one of the most interesting <coughs> seasons, I think. Uh, definitely well, one of my favourites. Sort of ties into one of mine as well, absolutely. Mm. Uh, ties into what we were just talking about there, because so little of it actually exists so we've only really experienced it through those tinny audio recordings, the target novelizations, you know, the mm. scant scant bits of footage that come alive during the Myth Makers where we get so excited because <laughs> all of a sudden somebody's moving for two and a half seconds in a really sort of blurry way. I can just about see the set. Oh, my God. I think it is one of the most extraordinary seasons of Doctor Who. You know, it's got high drama, comedy, horror, surrealism. Uh, there's a contemporary thriller in there, historical nightmares. Like, in terms of covering the breadth of what Doctor Who can do, it's all in there. 
it, it's our point where they just didn't there was no limit on the ambition of the show mm. they're like we're just going to tell the stories we want to tell because there's no formula at this point i think the formula comes in season four mm. but in three it's almost like and and the trouble with it is what turns out to be a nightmare behind the scenes but actually a huge strength all these years later is there's this roll call of production staff coming in and out. You've got producers coming in and leaving, mm. you know, you, um, Verity Lambert goes and John Wiles comes in, he leaves. And then Innes Lloyd comes in, you know, that's in the space of, of one season. Mm. Uh, you've got a roll call of companions coming in. Uh, Maureen O'Brien leaves. Adrian Hill joins. She leaves. Uh, Jean Marsh joins. She leaves. Um, good grief. Who plays Dodo? Jackie, uh, Lane. Jackie Lane. She joins. She leaves. Annika Wills. I mean, it's astonishing. It, it's always in flux this season mm. in, in terms of of the regulars that we're getting in terms of the tone of storytelling in terms of the genre that they're exploring this week uh, and i think given the production nightmares that were going on and we know hartnell wasn't any fun to be around mm. um the quality of it is out of this world mm. some of the best doctor who stories are there you can you can almost feel each story getting or the se the season getting yanked one way and then yanked another and it can't it, it almost feels like somebody's somebody's there trying to bash it into something into some kind of shape um and as a result it's it's creating such a a diverse array of stories i think it's um i think i agree with you it's uh, i think it's one of the darkest seasons that doctor oh, yeah. who has ever gone to i mean i love season 2 but it almost feels like it was it was too it's too safe. Season two has got Richard Martin in there as well, sabotaging all those yeah. classics. You know, <laughs> generally like, speaking, the direction in season three is really great. Yeah, yeah. It ju it it just feels like you know you're kind of in a in a very stable place. You know, you've obviously lost uh, Caroline Ford, um, and then we've got Maureen O'Brien coming in, and it just feels very. It's when I it, I always say it's a bit of a comforting watch season two, but then when we get to season three, it's just such a such a change that it's it's astonishing watching it in order or or listening to it experiencing it however however you want to experience it and it's one of those seasons that again because there is so much missing it just feels like there's still information there that we haven't seen there's still so much that we need to that we need to dig up and experience and i think that adds to its kind of maybe legendary status really well, that's that's one of the two reasons why I chose this. The, the The first reason I chose this is because season three mirrors how I discovered Doctor Who. Go with me for a second. Mm -hmm. So I discovered Doctor Who not by, you know, some people were old enough to watch Doctor Who from beginning to end. And they watched all of the black and white stuff. Then they watched all of Pertwee, Tom Baker, Peter Davidson, blah, blah, blah. And it all flows. You know, there's periods of a producer that wasn't my experience of Doctor Who at all. Mine was one month the Aztecs is out, the next month <laughs> Curse of Fenric is out, the mm. next month. And so I was jumping about all over the place. So talk about tonal whip whiplash. Mm. But within that, you never knew what you were going to get next. It was all over the place, my experience of Doctor Who. And so watching season three or listening to season three or reading season three, mm. whatever's your poison, 
it feels exactly the same. You never know what you're going to get next. Mm. And in the same way that sort of the archaeology of Doctor Who was discovering that it could go anywhere and do anything, because I was dipping in and out of all these eras and all these different tones, high drama, comedy and all of this. Season three, it just it is that distilled in Doctor Who, you know, mm. of... You can go anywhere, you can do anything, you can tell the story of the massacre of St. Bartholomew's Eve and make it the most chilling depiction of history you've ever seen. And you can also, you know, play hopscotch with an electric floor and Billy Bunter. <laughs> <laughs> and you can tell a Western in a studio and you can have a load of lumbering robots attacking London via the post office tower. Mm. Doctor Who can go anywhere, it can do anything. And I, I just think season three exemplifies that beautifully yeah it's not afraid to to try something different in each story is it it's in every story in every story <laughs> yeah in every single story there's something different um i mean you, if you look at where it starts you know we start with with uh, galaxy 4 which you know to be fair was at the end of the the previous production block but you start with galaxy 4 in a, in a very safe space with steven and vicky by the end of it we're we're on contemporary earth uh, at the time with William Hartnell and uh, a couple of new companions and, and a story that we've never, ever seen before. It's it's one of the biggest changes from beginning to end of season yeah. that, that that happens, I think. I think the only other one that I would really say came close was probably season four, where we get, yeah. you know, from, from Hartnell to, to by the end of it, you've got the evil of the Daleks. So... And let, let's be honest, had Hartnell been well... That regeneration would never have happened. No. And he would have been there at the end of that season. I'm not sure how Hartnell and Jamie would have worked, but let's give it a go. <laughs> um, yeah, it's true. It's it's just doing a lot. Mm. But the the other reason I chose this, and it was basically my in to talk to you about podcasting and everything that podcasting has done for me. So obviously I have I have my own podcast at Hampson with Blunt Pen Knife, of which you have been on quite a few episodes now spectacularly if i may say oh, so thank you very much it's a it's a very spectacular podcast you flatter me sir <laughs> um but via that i have 700 episodes out now and we've talked about a lot of doctor who a lot of the classic series i've covered most of it now and you must have experienced this via this podcast and that is suddenly you're looking at Doctor Who in different ways from your initial experience and your own opinions. Mm. So people come in and they challenge your opinions. And very often you, like me, probably walk away with a slightly different opinion to what you came in for. If someone hates something and you love it, you're like, oh, maybe it's not quite as good as I thought. I, I get where you're coming from and vice versa. Yes. Um, the, my biggest surprise doing Hamster in all of those episodes was covering a season three story. It's one I've done very recently. And honestly, in the last five years, I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed Jodie Whittaker's time as Doctor Who. I really enjoyed the three specials last year as well. And the Church of Ruby Road, the biggest, the biggest gift that I have had from Doctor Who in the last five years is studying listening and reading to the myth makers which oh, is a wow. story i had never really touched before there's so little of it there's there's barely any production pictures 
And it was a revelation to me, that story. Mm. Talking about it, but doing the work to actually sift out all the goodness. And from Donald Cotton's superb script, which goes from high comedy to high drama, to those amazing movie actors that they pulled in, giving mm -hmm. those grand operatic performances, um, how the tone of the story shifts, the wits, like the, the sharp wit in it. I'd never considered it before. I'd just been like, oh, do you know what? That's that one that's dealing with the Trojan myth. I'll just, <laughs> I'll leave that alone. And the, the biggest surprise to me is that stuff that's always been there can still be a revelation to me. Even now, even 30 years into the archaeology of Doctor Who, 700 episodes into talking about Doctor Who, there's still surprises, mm. still surprises to be found. And, I was just so happy that the guest, uh, it was David Gillespie Pratt, chose that one. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you've read the Target novelization. I did, actually. I read it last summer. It was uh, it was one of the books that I, because um, I went on a bit of a, a Target spree uh, on eBay the other, the other year. And uh, it was one of the ones that I picked simply because... Although I'd listened, I'd watched the recon, listened to the the audio, I'd I'd barely barely watched it, and it you know it's just one of those ones that you'd maybe watch watch once or twice, and you you don't really know much about it, like you say. Um, but I wanted to experience it a little bit more, so I bought I bought the Target book. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Mm, it's, yeah, and and the Stephen Fawn audio reading of it as well. I mean, talk about performance. He's he's giving it some Homer and then some. <laughs> um it's just an amazing story and mm. it's been there waiting for me for 30 years to discover and i discovered it just this last year and i think for the rest of my life there will be more surprises like that there will be stories that i i did underworld recently you know another mm. story i didn't think much of and then i looked into the production disaster behind that and suddenly i'm seeing that in a whole new light there's always always things to discover about Doctor Who. That's what I love about it. Even mm. the stuff I thought I knew inside out and back to front. I, I remember reading a, a Doctor Who magazine once, probably in the mid-90s, um, and they were talking <laughs> about about the missing stories and uh, they kind of focused on season three and how we may never know what certain shots looked like, what, you know, what Katarina was wearing at this, uh, you know, in this episode or in this scene. And it just set my mind racing with all those kind of undiscovered things that we will, well, hopefully we'll see them one day. Um, I know we're, we, you know, we, we live in hope that we'll find some, some more missing stories, but I think that's what draws me so much to the, uh, to the to the especially the William Hartnell era is the what we don't see what we still have yet to experience and that that really excites me. What you do see in season three is though the, the extraordinary direction of Dalek's master plan episodes that exist, mm. the ambitious direction of the arc, you know, the stylish direction of the war machines, the frankly for years utterly underrated direction of the gunfighters mm -hmm. which is a really stylish bit of work um i think those missing stories will have looked absolutely amazing yeah i mean look at look at the scene in um is it episode two day of armageddon the dalek's master plan with the, the scene with mavic chen looking through the bars the 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 kind of oh, the lighting yeah. on him how how had we never seen that before you know obviously it was missing so that's why we hadn't seen it but when you watch it now, you think we we you know twenty odd years ago we 
probably didn't even know what that looked like. So it's it's just it's just utterly fascinating. Do you know as well? Actually, there's a third reason I could I could say for season three, and that is because it shows me as well by by doing the myth makers, because David Gillespie Pratt is somebody that approaches Doctor Who in a completely different way to how I do. So what he did was he found a copy of the camera scripts, right, and he timed how long how long the shots would be. And you can do that using oh, the wow. scripts, right? So he and he's written out all the times, and he did it for the stories either side, and so he wow. could tell when the cuts were taking place. So he could tell me as we were watching it how that story was paced. Wow! And he said that you know the the camera cuts were about twice the speed of the stories around. So we know just from that camera script it would have been cut, 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 mm. cut, cut. Uh, unlike some of the other stories around it, and it really made me think. But the way people go back examining Doctor Who, it's, I just think, I don't think there's anything else I've known people obsess about like mm. this in such minute detail to try and sift out what we don't know. Mm. Yeah, it was it was an extraordinary conversation. I haven't brought it out yet. I can't wait to bring it out. Mm. Um, it was one of the most surprising ones I did. But yeah, that is essentially why I chose season three. Not only because it's a, a startling year of Doctor Who, but it taught me that uh, there's still things to learn and mm. i will keep on learning probably until the day i die <laughs> it swings and roundabouts really isn't it because we want those stories to be found but if they were all found <laughs> we and they were disappointing <laughs> yeah they were disappointing yeah what would we what how would we feel but um we're in, we're in a position now where we can do that kind of deep exploration into into what's not there I mean, when I listen to uh, Toby Haydock's podcast, oh, it's usually amazing. the ones I go to first because I'm I'm kind of trying to catch up on everything that he's done just recently. Um, but the ones that I go to first are the ones where he's talking in depth about the the missing stories because I can't get you know I can't get enough of them. I need more. I need more information. So it's yeah. It, I think if these stories were to be found, it would be great. But we might also lose that uh, fascinating kind of digging into into the stories or that enticing you know what is it like it's mm. it's the christmas present effect mm. it's like the presents under the tree and until you open it it's the most exciting prospect in the world yeah the second you open it oh is that it oh. yeah <laughs> you know when i was a kid right i remember i wanted a teenage mutant hero turtle figure so much and there was a present under the tree from our granddad i should have known better because it was shit buying presents i swore <laughs> I absolutely swore it was Michelangelo from the Turtles. And guess what it turned out to be? Matey's bubble bath. What? <laughs> <laughs> Awful. Honestly. Oh, my God. Talk but about I'm, the disappointment. I've never forgiven him, you know. Oh, my word. <laughs> and, you know, those missing stories are a bit like that. Mind you, we found Enemy of the World. We found Web of we Fear. Did. They were amazing, weren't they? Well, yeah, they were absolutely fantastic. They were they were, and and such a revelation as well. We so. also found Galaxy Four Episode Three, and that was a right chore to watch. So yeah, it swings around the <laughs> But another another slice of season three, at least. Mm. And you know, Galaxy Four does prove you know that within every Persian rug there is a a thread that's sticking out, and that is <laughs> that is Galaxy Four. Yes. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm um, I'm tempted to get my dad onto this podcast, um, whether or not. I mean, he's bless him is is uh, 
How old is he now? He's near, I think he's he's nearly seventy now. Um, so it, he but he was he was a kid and he watched Doctor Who in the sixties and he and he remembers a lot of these things and he remembers Marco Polo. He he, he used to be able to tell me various Bastard. scenes from it. I know, and I'm like kind of thinking, right? Do I get him here? And I sit him here and I grill him and to you know what happened in this story. Tell me, tell me whether he'd remember it now. I don't know. You know what we need to do? We need to create a technology, right, that can go inside people's heads, mm -hmm. extract memories, visual memories of things, yep. and then put it on a tape, you know? Yep. I just... that, does that technology exist? I don't think it does. Not yet, unfortunately. Not I've yet. been watching too much Doctor Who, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was a teenager and he was said, oh, yes, I remember Marco Polo. He said, I remember the scene, clearly remember it, the Doctor and Susan lying down next to each other in the TARDIS and the, the I'll condensation. Oh, Where is this going? <laughs> I, I, I was like, hmm, are you sure you're watching Doctor Who here? He said, I remember the condensation dripping down the walls. Yeah, yeah I always talk about my dad. Uh, Get him on. so much. <laughs> Oh, it's no. a record, so, so record his memories now as well. She remembers, you know, watching uh, mm. trout the stories that are missing. Mm. Oh, that's, that's so yeah. Ian Levine remembers as well, but you know, don't don't get him on. Oh no no no! <laughs> I'm not I'm not going that way. I'm not going that way. Don't worry about that. <laughs> you could have a 15 hour conversation with him, Parter. I'd probably have to pay him to be on the on the podcast. Oh man! Me? But your ratings will be at a record high. <laughs> <laughs> But mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about two seasons of Doctor Who, mm -hmm. one which was Doctor Who in production crisis mm -hmm. that turns out to be spectacular, mm -hmm. despite the odds, and another which was a season where pretty much everything went smoothly and the show was absolutely in the zeitgeist and everybody was on board and everybody loved it. And it's still spectacular. So it's proof that in either direction you can produce great results. Mm. Frankly, it's somewhere in the middle, you know, when you get season 20 or something like that, you know, where things yeah. are kind of going right, kind of going wrong. That's when it's really boring to watch. But yeah. Hey, no, it's series four mm. of the new series. Well, we, I mean, series four, we all know was the, was the point where Doctor Who was, it was there, wasn't it? We'd, uh, after all these, these years, we'd, uh, we finally, you know, we, we were able to prove to everybody that we were right all along. <laughs> all those years of embarrassment were worth <laughs> it. Because suddenly it was water cooler talk, you know? Yeah. It was on the news. Who the hell is David Tennant going to regenerate into after the cliffhanger of Stolen Earth? Strangely, Series 4 isn't one of my favourite series. And I, well, I can't imagine. Put, I can't put my finger on why. And I, I don't know, because I, I was recently rewatched it. And um, every story, well... Maybe not the doctor's daughter. Um, I'm not a massive fan of that story, but um, but every, every story is pretty pretty much spot on, and I enjoy it. But there's something about the series which I'm not I'm not keen on it, and I don't know why. I can't explain it. I mean, I get it because series five is a recognised classic and everybody loves it. And I think that's deeply flawed. And mm. yet you talk to somebody that loves series five, they'll look at you like you're completely insane and belong in the asylum, <laughs> you know. So, and you know, that's another thing you learn about podcasting is so subjective. All of this is subjective. And you're never going to marry with every popular opinion. Like general opinion is series four is a bit of a classic, mm -hmm. but there's probably a good, you know, 3000 people that think it's a load of tour mm. and a fair play, you know, again, yeah. it's, it's that thing about being able to talk about this stuff 
and come at it from different directions and come away sort of educating yourself on that other person's point of view without having a fight, you know, and, mm. and, and learning. I think at the time, uh, I really, really enjoyed it. I, I just, I always prefer my go-to season for Tenant is always, um, is always series three uh, with oh, Martha. That's another because I, goodie. That's another yeah, goodie. I think it was just, I, I love Catherine Tate. Uh, I love, well, I said, do I love Tennant? Yes, I love Tennant. Um, the Tenth Doctor isn't one of my favourite Doctors, though. So maybe that, maybe at that point I I was ready for something something new. I don't know. Maybe that's what kind of brings it down for me a little bit. Because, I mean, he's fantastic. The both of them are fantastic. They're the, 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 the best pairing of that era. Oh, ever, if you ask me. And I'm talking about classic and new. I just think wow. it's gold, the pair of them. Mm. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's, uh, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's something I need to, I need to work through. <laughs> well, no, just own that opinion, you know, if, mm. if you don't like it, but you know, may I swear on this thing? Yeah, of course you can, yeah. Well, you can always cut it out if you don't like it. Um, but yeah, the 10th Doctor's a total cunt. I mean, he's horrible. Mm. Yeah. He's not someone anyone would want to spend time with, overbearing, obnoxious, going around, fingers on lips, you know. Mm. And that's what makes Midnight so great is that, you know, he's so overconfident in his own ability. He's so bought into his own myth mm. that he thinks he can just wow these people. And oh, dear, none of them are very impressed. And they're dragging him out of that thing to be killed. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's great drama. It's great because I think Rusty Davis knows this is the character he's created and, mm. and punishes him for it. effectively. Yeah. Mm. But like taking the season as a whole. I think you've got some astonishing character drama in there, especially in uh, Science of the Library, Forest of the Dead, Turn Left at Midnight. I think mm. those are just astonishing episodes. You've got some devastating twists in there as well. I'll go back to Forest of the Dead, you know, where Riversong commits suicide at the end. Or, you know, when the fellas dragged off to the concentration camp in Turn mm. Left and that spectacular moment in Midnight where... They all turn on the doctor and you mm. realise he's stuck with a group of frightened humans that he can't impress and mm. they're getting more paranoid and more frightened of him. You know, the twists and turns in this season are amazing. Harriet Jones dying in the stolen earth. I can't think of a time when I've been more on a roller coaster with Doctor Who mm. and someone's played with my emotions as much as Rusty Davis did in that season. Um, I think there's terrific action in that. The Sontaran Supata has some fabulous set pieces in it. Mm huge laughs like the comedy is at its height because you've got Catherine Tate who is a seasoned comedy actress so you get the sequence in Partners in Crime you know where they're miming through the windows and things there's, there's sequences like that it's the best it's the, some of the funniest Doctor Who we've ever had mm. but I didn't choose it just because I think it's a astonishing season of Doctor Who I chose it because this coincided with one of and I'm happy to say currently is another uh it's one of the happiest periods of my life and it's a time where my life was in such a great place and doctor who is in such a great place as well and when those two things marry up if you're a doctor who fan it's the best feeling in the world like that was a point where i was um in a relationship i was engaged to a very kind very sweet man called simon we were planning our wedding you know he worked for easyjet and we were jetting off all around europe for free you know i was traveling traveling the world it was just a wonderful wonderful period of my life 
it all fell apart a few years later. The wedding was almost a curse of that relationship, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, yeah, these things have a lifeline sometimes. Mm -hmm. But I just remember, you know, he and he shared the interest with me. He wasn't a Doctor Who fan, but we were just so deliriously happy. And we would sit there and we would watch Doctor Who together on a Saturday night. And how wonderful it was as good as Doctor Who has ever been for me. Mm. So it, I was just euphoric watching Series 4. And recently I've done a Strictly on Series 2, which proved to be seriously divisive when we were mm. asking for opinions. And one of the commentators was Stephen B from New to Who. And he was in a really happy place during season two. And obviously season two tells the story of a romance between the Doctor and Rose. And he says, look, you can tell me objectively till you're blue in the face that those stories are up and down, that <laughs> Rose is a total cunt as well. And they're the smuggest arseholes going around the universe. But it was the happiest time of my life, and I love watching Doctor Who. And sometimes your first viewing of a Doctor Who, it colours your opinion of that. I mm. think you must have a season like that. Oh yeah, I mean, I've got you know, I've got specific stories. I mean, it... and I'm in either direction as well. Like you know, it could be a bad time of your life yeah, where yeah. Doctor Who was a huge comfort to you, so yeah. you hold it close because it's something that was like a blanket that you wrap around you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I. I... You know, you can tell me to you blue in the face that Love and Monsters is oh, as a pile of shit, you know, but it's not. I mean, I watched it. I'd, I'd come out of a long term relationship uh, about five years and I was in such a dark place. I was in such a horrible place. And this is, you know, back what 2006, wasn't it? 2006. Um, and all of a sudden there was this episode Love and Monsters and it just made me realize that it's the quote that Elton says at the end about life is, you know, so much better. It's so different. And and it just made me realize that there was that the, the, basically the world was my oyster and I could do what I wanted and I could be what I wanted to be. And, it, you know, so that kind of it really made me kind of it, it grabbed me by the throat and says, look, stop, stop the world is not as bad as what you think it is. You know, this, this such, there's so much wonder out there. And, and, and I think the other, the other time for me was, um, was during flux, uh, the flux season, mm -hmm. um, because I was uh, again, and I've spoken, spoken about this before, and I've spoken about it on, on, um, on one of your podcasts. I think it was on, can you hear me possibly? Um, and I was in a, I was in a bad place. My, my marriage was collapsing, um, through various different mm. reasons. And I was, I was living at my mum's house. Um, and I was flitting backwards and forwards between my mum's house and, and my house. And I didn't know where my life was going. Um, but at the, you know, throughout that entire time through those six weeks, uh, there was the flux season and it just, it means so much to me because it felt like the one positive thing apart from Jacob, obviously my son, but obviously he was, he was in the middle of all of this as well. So it was, a, it was a tough, it was a tough time, but the, but in the middle of this was, was, was Jody, uh, Jody's 13th doctor who just kept me going. And that might sound like a crazy, crazy thing not to say. You're not the first. Jeff Goddard's told me that on many occasions as well. Mm. The same, same doctor, Jody's doctor. So how can somebody possibly tell you, Mm. where you've had that personal experience with love monsters and the flux that mm. those are bad stories you're i mean they're just never going to get through to you you know no no they're not they're not they're, they're, they're always they're always going to be 
that and it's this i suppose it's the same thing with your kind of your stories from your childhood as well really you know it's uh Death I, to the daleks exactly i was listening i was just about to say that i was listening to your strictly um strictly episode on on se- uh, season 11 and i was weren't just they mean, like, i was they like, mean about it jim can, how can you bin this yeah. how can you bin this but again it's, you know, i would i would say Death to the daleks is probably objectively not a great piece of television no it's not but i watched it 500 times when i was 6 years old and know every single beat of it and yeah. i love it and that will never go. No, you, you, you're feeling bad. You're feeling down one day. Um, you know, get yourself wrapped up in a duvet and shove on Death to the Daleks. And that's fantastic. What I would say, and you can fight me on this one if you want. I think objectively, whether it's for you or not, objectively, that is good television. Mm. Like the, the the stories are engaging and interesting and confident mm-hmm. um the acting is out of this world the production value is on the screen you know i think even if and i know other people phrases less keen on series four as well but i think there's a general consensus that this is as confident as dot who has ever been mm. may, maybe series five i think maybe four and five are the two years that people point at mm. um yeah, and I'm really pleased that a moment where Doctor Who was in the zeitgeist, where it was as as confident as that, married with a time in my life when I was too, you know. And, and I had some spectacular lows after that, I'll be honest. And, you know, life was very bumpy for a few years. Um, but I did meet a very wonderful Doctor Who fan called Mark Rawlins, who's downstairs right now, and <laughs> transformed that again into a glorious life. So there's a happy ending, thank goodness. It's ju- it just means one, you know, one conversation about Doctor Who and this relationship could be over. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow we've survived two and a half years, you know. <laughs> His opinion on love and monsters, it came close, you know. I nearly <laughs> started packing a bag when we were talking about that on that strictly. Oh, Love and Monsters is wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. And I won't I won't have a bad word said against it. But of course everybody's entitled to their opinion. So, you know, yes. you know, we're, that, we're, that, we're allowed to do that as well. So I think that's we the have other to thing do that. we have to learn, right? <laughs> yes. That is that is a really important lesson with Doctor mm. Who is you you can hold firm to your own beliefs, but so can other people. Mm. And just because they have a different opinion to you, that's no threat to your own beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um and you don't have to listen to them, but don't attack them for thinking something different. And yeah. that's what ha- that's that's the worst of Doctor Who Twitter and the worst of Doctor Who fandom. That's mm-hmm. where the toxicity comes from. Because yeah. you've got two people on opposing sides of an argument and they're not communicating. No. They're just attacking. And yeah. it's so pointless. You just don't get it's not a conversation, you know, it's just a fight. No, and we've seen it so many times. I mean, look at our the responses we had to the the uh, the thread that we posted on. Can you hear me? That was yeah. uh, that was that was interesting. But it, there were some areas of that thread that descended into people just shouting at each other. So what I'm pleased to say is that I'm sure because I know you've had some truly wonderful people on this podcast. Is that we've carved out a corner of fandom for ourselves. Mm-hmm which is massively positive with such diverse points of view, you know, opposing points of view. Mm. 
where it's a safe space to talk about those things and mm-hmm. to still love each other at the end of the conversation, despite the fact that no one shifted their opinion. <laughs> it's wonderful when you find yeah. when you find your sort of what's the right word, your family, your brood, your your fan family, yeah, where you can actually have these conversations and it isn't the end of the world. Oh, it's glorious. Okay, so we're going to move on to your next subject, which is a uh, it's a big finish audio, isn't it? It is. I know, given how rude I am about them usually, it's astonishing <laughs> that I've got two on my list. <laughs> well, this is this is this is from one of the kind of golden ages of, of oh. big finish, anyway, isn't it? Lucy Miller, Sheridan Smith, and Paul McGann together. Um, the halcyon days of big finish, if you ask me. Yeah, well, I'll tell you a little story about, well, it's not not a long story, but uh, I met Sheridan Smith when I was about 11 years old and uh, she was dancing with, uh, she used to be part of a dance group and she was dancing with my sister at uh, this this kind of dance festival that was going on in my town. And um, <laughs> apparently she wanted to meet me, so I met her and, um, and got chatting to her and uh, never saw her again after that, obviously, but... Uh, yeah. I thought you were going to say you had a romance with Sheridan Smith <laughs> back in the day. Uh, that came later. No. Yeah. I'd be like, how the hell have you never mentioned that before? No, 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 no. But uh, yeah, I was uh, I was quite taken by her <laughs> at that age. So um... the, the reason I chose Death in Blackpool is because that coincides with the lowest point in my life that I can ever remember being. Um, and I've sort of detailed elsewhere, so I won't labor the point but effectively i had a a tricky childhood and um i had a bad relationship with my father who couldn't accept when i came out as being gay who was in prison when i told him that uh my sister had a terrible breakdown in her teenage years i'm not entirely sure she ever recovered from it uh we lost our family home like lots of really bad stuff happened Mm. when I was 11 years old where uh, those sort of things shouldn't be happening to a child. And, uh, you know, see right now how eloquently I'm talking about that. When I was 30 years old, I couldn't do that. Mm. And I don't think we were even in an area where men could talk about. So when I was 30, what was that? It was 2010. I don't think we were in a space then where men were really opening up not certainly not as much as they are now Mm. i think in the last decade there's been a huge push to accept that i mean what a bizarre revelation to come to that men feel things as deeply as women Mm. and that men should be able to talk about the things that they're struggling with i think there's still some stigma now Mm. but i think we are moving in the right direction thank Mm. god um and when i was 30 all of that stuff over about a decade that's sort of between being 11 and 21 all that terrible stuff that happened i never talked about it i bottled it all up i was very insular as a kid and i held all those emotions close to my chest you know you protect yourself in the ways that you protect yourself and that's how i did my sister exploded you know violently emotionally and i just clung on to it all and had a very close relationship with my mum but we still we didn't really talk about that stuff um and then in my 20s I started having crippling anxiety attacks um and I was depressed I uh, there was just a decade of my life that I hadn't 
examined and dealt with and that stuff it festers it really does it sort of we talked about this and can you hear me you know it, mm. it grows inside you like a cancer and it got to a point when i was 30 where i was so in such a depressive state i was paranoid you know i was working in an office at the time and i was i swore people knew all the time just how nervy i was i constantly needed the toilet you know that's a that's a terrible uh symptom of of when you're going through anxiety attacks uh my heart was right i would aspire all the time it was just horrendous um and i couldn't explain it because there mm. just wasn't the facility at the time to explain that stuff you know looking back at it now it's insane all i needed to do was talk mm. but i was too afraid to talk about it even to my husband-to-be who was the kindest like i've said the sweetest man mm. um i just couldn't do it and i this is going to sound insane but i was going to work i was in the car and i and i listened to uh do you remember mp3 players and mp3 player and yeah, i was listening i've to... still got one <laughs> loser um i was listening to death in blackpool which i think is a really fine character drama mm -hmm. by alan barnes but at the end of that story um lucy miller discovers that her auntie pat uh died earlier on in the run and was replaced by a zygote you know, totally mm. soapy Doctor Who twist. <laughs> um, but basically the Doctor betrayed her and he never told her. And she has a scene at the end where she breaks down on the beach and mm. says to him, e everything's changed. I don't trust you anymore. And I can't go on these adventures with you anymore, you know. And she has a wonderful speech where she says, you know, you're the Doctor. You're better than this. And the music swells. Mm. It's a beautifully performed directed at a scored moment and i had all that stuff inside me yeah it was like a switch had flicked <laughs> it was mm. so bizarre i i felt a rush of emotions bubble up to me as i was listening to it and i cried and i cried and i cried and it wasn't lucy miller i was crying about mm. but it was the catalyst it moved me to a point where the emotions came out i don't know if you've ever had a moment like that where it all just bubbles to the surface mm -hmm. and you can't stop the flow. And I don't think I stopped crying for a day, you know? Mm. Um, and then I saw all the help I needed. I got counseling, you know, I talked to my friends. I talked to my family. What a surprise. Everybody was there to listen. Mm. I just didn't use them, you know? Yeah. And I learned, I, you know, I channeled uh, once I dealt with what I needed to deal with. And it was years of therapy uh i then went on to volunteer with mind and i helped other people that were going through that because i knew there was a way out mm. you know and i channeled it into that so again it's had a really positive ending this mm. but it was a doctor who story that that actually allowed me to emote to the point where I could be honest with what I was going through. Mm. You can tell me now that you listened to Death in Blackpool this week and thought it was a pretty average Doctor Who story with an okay sort of twist at the end that she left. It's one of the most moving pieces of Doctor Who for me mm. because of, of what it gave me. And Doctor Who stories, certain Doctor Who stories gift you like mm. that. I, mm. don't, I don't think you can kind of always explain how. 
but I absolutely can on this one occasion. And I actually had a chance to write a review about that and to talk to Alan Barnes about that and say, and honestly, the look on his face when I told him this story and he was like, this is more than I ever could have expected when I wrote that script. Mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing that with me. Cause that's, a, that's an astonishing thing that's happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it is amazing how this show connects with you emotionally and you know you probably think it would be the tv show or something. i don't know this was a big finish audio. audio drama yeah a beautiful audio drama i think um subtle and uh and just very moving yeah mm. it, it, it it i can't thank it enough because i don't know how much longer i would have bottled that up for and where that would have led me mm. you know and i'm not saying i was suicidal but god that you just don't know do you you do no. not know no and something just snapped something snapped when i listened to that and i'm just so grateful to it it's 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 really strange isn't it how it can kind of just how it can kind of just creep up on you because i had i can't say that it was it was on on the same levels um but it, interestingly for me it was watching a a, a doctor who blu-ray documentary that 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 set me off. So it was so moving, aren't they? Oh my word. So it was early 2020. Um, and I was, uh, I was struggling with work and I was fit. I was under so much pressure. Um, I was in charge of about 300, 350 people. And the, the particular person who was in charge of this HR, HR department was vile. She was a vile human being and she's, she's gone now. She's, she doesn't work there anymore. And, um, she was kind of tightening the screws on me constantly, constantly telling me I need to do this, need to do that. But I kept bottling it up inside thinking, right, I, well, this is my job. I've got to do it. I've got to do it. I've got to do it. So my escape would be to watch, uh, watch Doctor Who, obviously. And I'd got the season eight Blu-ray and to try and was... guess the documentary was it wasn't a Terrence Sticks Barry Let's one was it? No, it wasn't actually. It was it was one which uh, it just it just came out of the just came out of the blue. It was because um, the demons is one of my favourite Doctor Who stories. Um, I was watching the documentary where they return to they go back to Devil's End uh, to Oldbourne. I think what happened, I was trying to retreat into something. From my childhood i was trying to escape from all this shit that was going on as an adult and trying to retreat into my childhood and it was very warm and comforting there but i watched that documentary and i realized that all of those not all of those people but a lot of those people in that story were no longer with us and something in my head just said this story was a long time ago all i could all i could hear in my head was somebody saying it's nearly over. It's all gone. It's all and 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 it almost felt like my childhood was over. And that sounds utterly bizarre, but no, it felt so. like not I was all. I was trying to escape to something that I couldn't get to anymore because it was so far in the past that you know, and even now talking about it, I don't know if it makes any sense of what I'm saying, but it was like watching watching the story and then seeing this documentary of these older people revisiting such a lovely time it made me realize that you know i'm older now and what i had this kind of comforting space of being a of being a child and and kind of allowing doctor who to make me feel like a child was it, it couldn't it, i couldn't sustain that and i just 
exploded and I could not stop crying. And I I was trying to uh, read emails as well at the same time. And I was getting vicious, nasty emails coming through from this HR person. And I just, I just remember being sat upstairs on the bed, just thumping my fists into the bed. And I was on my hands and knees and I, and you know, my wife at the time, she was like, this is it now you need to, you need to get some help. And, and I did end up having six weeks off work and I went through, you know, I went through therapy as well. And, um, you know, that helped, but it was, it, I don't know. It was just kind of like the, the, the dam had, had, had blown at that, at that moment. It's exactly the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly it's, it just thing. feels like, and just such a small thing just to, 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 to trigger it. I mean, don't ever, don't underestimate. No, no. The, 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 the potency of your connection to Doctor Who as a child. Hmm. Yeah, it just felt I, like I, I get completely what you're saying. It was just like I couldn't get to, I couldn't get to, you know, Devil's End had changed and those people were gone and I couldn't get to it. And it was just such a strange thing to be, to have well, run through my head. I'm hoping that you've discovered since, and if you haven't, then I'm going to keep on at you until you do, that actually you can still retreat into that safe space of being a child by oh, yes. watching Doctor Who. Because that's something I learned in later years, mm. is that when I watch certain Doctor Who stories, I just it, it just feels like, you know, a bowl of porridge, a blanket around your shoulders, that mm. the, the, being in your mother's knee, you know, it, it's just like all of those things wrapped around, you know, mm. all sort of together. Yeah. It, it's, yeah, it's, it's a potent thing, Doctor Who. It is. Know? And I think if you're as close to it as clearly you and I are, and clearly the people listening to yours and my podcast, I think everybody's got a massive connection to it. Mm. I'm almost willing to bet they probably all, everyone listening to this right now has probably had their moment where mm. Doctor Who, you know, in either direction, positive, negative, expressing an emotion, it's just, it's had a profound effect on their lives. I think, yeah, I, I've definitely been able to, to kind of retreat back into it again and 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 feel happy and safe so it's um it's it kind of feels like it, it's i've gone over over the top now and i'm you know i'm i'm in a better place now it will some it's something that i will retreat to if i need to if i need that comforting time you know so it's uh it's definitely something i've learned uh like yourself over time to to escape back to and i would just like to say uh sort of round that off paul mcgann and sharon smith Man, that is chemistry that's been rarely bested. Mm. And it's not just in Death and Blackpool. you got four incredible seasons with the pair of them. Go mm. find them because it's some of the best Doctor Who you'll ever hear, especially that last season. Unforgettable. I... Those last two. My God. Oh, my word. No yeah. spoilers. No, no, no. No no spoilers. But definitely a, definitely a classic. And, uh, yeah, I don't think as much as, as much as I love the Eighth Doctor, I don't think he was ever the same again after after uh no, Lucy no they went to those oh. big box sets and those yeah. 16 part stories and the time war and all that nonsense no, yeah thank you a little bit see, too much see now i'm sounding like more like i do on finish big <laughs> there is the occasional gold nugget you know in the shit they produce these days but oh yeah occasional yeah. being you've the word just, you've just got to look for it that's the that's yeah. the problem okay that's it for part one of my chat with joe ford Join us again in part two, where we'll be heading further into the world of Big Finish. We'll be discussing the wilderness years, and we'll be talking about something unexpectedly sexy. 
once in the box.